This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code JASON. Hey everybody, before we get started, I want to tell you about something new that we're doing. We're not playing Dungeons and Dragons on episodes of The Incomparable anymore. We've moved them to their own podcast. Check it out. It's called Total Party Kill. You can get more information and subscribe by visiting theincomparable.com slash TPK. The Incomparable, number 182, February 2014. Well, here we are again. It, uh, I call this meeting of the Incomparable Star Wars Club to order. We went through the original movies. We went and watched episode one. We let a uh, reasonable amount of time lapse so that we could recover. And we're back to talk about Star Wars episode... episode I should... Let me, let me punctuate this properly. Star Wars dash episode two Roman numeral colon attack of the clones right i think that's the the right way to to get the it official title I, I got it wrong last time so i'm making sure i get it right this time and um just to explain we we uh, we like to talk about star wars we did uh, two episode uh, chunks about each of the uh, original three movies and then uh, by popular demand they asked us to talk about uh you listeners asked us to talk about the prequels which were which we denied all knowledge of but for one night why, only listeners why one night only we bring it back and we talk about it and uh so that leads us to this unfortunate moment which is we watched star wars episode two and now we're going to talk about it i want to i want to leave some warnings right here which is although we love star wars especially the original trilogy the prequels we don't love so much and although we try not to do whole episodes about things we know we're going to hate just to uh destroy them every now and then catharsis is good for the soul i believe and that's i think what you're probably going to hear tonight is some uh some catharsis about a, a movie that we don't like, although you never know, Monty might say things or he might blow our minds with things that he likes about it. I think it's unlikely. <laughs> he might not do. He might have created some other insane and unlikely backstory <laughs> to make it all better for himself. So let me introduce the uh, the participants here uh, before we get started. Um, you you heard Steve Lutz. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jason. Uh, you watched the movie. Can can we confirm that? I I think I did. All right, I saw you. I can't, I can't actually confirm in, in little pieces over. Yes, yes. Many I, days. It took me three. It took me three nights, and it felt like about thirty. That's the worst Hanukkah ever. All and right. as I will as I will discuss later, it's uh, I have difficulty remembering this film. So all right, well, do your best. You can make things. I'll do, up I'll do what I can. To. All right. I took extensive notes, and uh, until they turn into just horrible, filthy scrawlings at the end of the list. Fair I enough. should be able to work from those. All right, it's it's never a good sign when you start with detailed uh, film criticism notes and it ends in a suicide note. Yeah, it's never a good sign. Monty Ashley is also here. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. Good to have you here. Good to be here. Pity it required me watching this movie. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Fair enough. There we go. Okay. Uh, Dan Morin, you I believe uh, watched this just moments ago, Flophouse style, before the recording of this podcast. Is that correct? In- Indeed, for the first time in 12 years. Wow, that's commitment. Yeah. Thank you. Haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater, so thanks for reminding me. 
Thank mm. you for your commitment to the podcast is what I have to say. I'm going to be committed at the end of this podcast. That may also be true. Serenity Caldwell, I believe, also joined you for this fine sque- screening uh, right before we began recording. Hello. Unfortunately, yes. Hello, Jason. I Always watch movie. with a buddy. Yeah. I. You know <laughs> what? It's a suicide watch thing. Watching this movie when it came out in 2002 was, uh, I think, a much better experience for me yep. than rewatching yep. it tonight. But there was snark involved tonight, so it was a little bit better. That's good. And, of course, he wouldn't uh, miss one. It's uh, John Syracuse. Uh, hello. I guess I can add another data point to this experiment and say that I, too, took three separate oh. viewing occasions to make it through this movie. Took, yep. took two for me. I, I, I had to break it I, up. I ripped the Band-Aid off and did it in one. Good job. Well, okay, so <laughs> I, I I have a little bit of a synopsis here in my notes that, like I said, trails off into sadness at the end, uh, or like, trails off into incoherence at the end. It starts really with sadness and goes from there. But before I do, I would like to ask if anybody, particularly John Syracuse, has any opening remarks, <laughs> as we often like to do, especially for Star Wars episodes. John, do you have any remarks? I do have a very brief opening <laughs> statement, All and right. I have heard that Dan Morin also has one as well, so he can go after me if he would like. I don't already say right, anything. Very say. generous. Thank you, John. All right. Um, so I'm going to start with a, a brief review of my theory of the meta failure of the Star Wars prequels. This is a repeat <laughs> for anyone who has listened to the Phantom Menace episode. This is just a quick summary of that. So to recap, the, uh, the reason these movies exist is to explain how Luke's father became Darth Vader, because that's what we all wanted to know after seeing the first three movies. And episode one didn't really do much in that regard it didn't contribute to the effort or and it's in my any contention. regard yeah it's my contention that the entire prequels as a whole totally fail to achieve this goal uh, and this is aside from their failings as an individual movie so that's the big uh, meta theory but all that said going into episode two in 2002 i was actually cautiously optimistic for a couple of reasons about this second movie uh, first i knew that anakin would be played by a different older and presumably better actor so thumbs up on that. Different. Second. So much yeah. for presuming. Ostensibly. Episode two was rumored to be darker than episode one. And I figured, geez, after all that Jar Jar stuff, darker has got to be better, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> the best action scene in episode one was the lightsaber battle at the end. And episode two promised to have more lightsaber battles. Uh, and I, I say all this basically to explain that I went into episode two. I didn't go into it determined to hate it. I went in thinking... You could still turn this thing around. I knew it was a, th- a three-episode trilogy. We- the first one was crummy, but maybe two and three will be better. So I had no preconceived notions. I was willing to believe at this point. And I think the rest of the podcast will talk about how my hopes were dashed. <laughs> All right. Uh, good table setting there. Dan Morin, would you like to add anything? I, I just had a, a short a short list, which includes, let's see, Robots. Uh, spaceships, lightsabers, hmm. uh, political intrigue, illicit love affairs, clones, uh, and only George Lucas could take all of these things, put them in a single movie, and make it so boring <laughs> that you want to fall asleep. I noticed your list didn't have death sticks on it. Was that just an oversight? <laughs> oh, death sticks. Just and jump cuts. What's the opposite of political intrigue? Is it political outrigue? Because that's what this movie had. It, yeah. 
Well, we can start with the crawl, can't we? Because that, the crawl is, is where the I most indicative. Yeah. You have defined before, before my you get there. I, I have a brief oh. opening statement myself. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, this is this is uh, as exciting as the Imperial Senate passing resolutions <laughs> that are nominated by George R. Binks. Opening statement, the podcast. <laughs> I don't get too excited. Dan yielded the floor to it for another. Oh, I know. I, I just wanted to. That was sort of my nice little pithy wrap up. But I agree with everything my esteemed colleague um, from Syracuse said. <laughs> from Naboo. Okay, Steve, you may go ahead. Oh, this is more really the form of a disclaimer. Uh, this is absolutely true. When I watched this movie, it was several years after everybody else had already seen it and trashed it. And I had seen episode one and thought, okay, well, that's some crap. But it, you know, it's semi entertaining. Um, and so I sat down to watch this. I was on, a, I think I was on a trip somewhere on, uh, for business, sat down with a laptop, watched it, you know, got through it. And then a week later I was somewhere else in another hotel and I looked at the DVD and I realized I watched this a week ago and I have absolutely no <laughs> recollection of anything that happened in this film. That is absolutely true. Two and a half hours of my life were just gone. I knew something must have happened during that time. I had sort of a, a vague sense that there had been explosions and, and sand, but the specifics... So it's a lot like a co- party back in college then. Yeah, I was thinking Not like unlike a, that at all, like except not nearly so fun. From the roof, like, fell on your head as you exited the theater. And yes. That might be... Well, yeah, it was really like tiles were falling on my head throughout the entire viewing of the film. <laughs> Some enough. of us could only wish that a tile had fallen on us after this movie. Yeah, I don't know if I would take a concussion normally, but uh, it's looking pretty wow. good. This is grim. Okay, let's start with the crawl. And, and do we have any comments about the crawl? I only have a couple notes there. So yeah, my my big note about the crawl is the only exciting words in that entire thing are army, <laughs> um, which they also I think happen to be bolded, and everything else there. Blah, 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 vote, blah, 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 limited Jedi numbers, blah, 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 Senate. You, my favorite part is blah, 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 Count Dooku, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Because <laughs> like, you know what? There's nothing better than than introducing a pivotal character uh, being performed by a legendary actor by mentioning him as if you know who he is in The Crawl involving um, bureaucracy and uh, a, and then a rebellion. And then not for two yeah. hours. <laughs> Well, and then naming him something like Count Dooku. Yeah. <laughs> so, did anybody have has anybody ever seen Rockadoodle? Because I feel like there is a character named like Count Dooku or Count Dukas or something like that, and that has always stuck with me. It's the nickname for for Steve's cat. One, one Dooku. Two, two Dookus. My note on the crawl was that I was excited up until the phrase "a separatist movement." Which is the most boring way to describe a rebellion they could come up yes. with. Yes. Yeah, like go, going in with expectations of like, oh, this the second one could be better. You got to hand it to George Lucas. He wasted absolutely no time in immediately dissuading me from the notion that this movie was going to be different. And I, at like the first sentence is, there is unrest in the Galactic Senate. It's like a <laughs> gut punch. It's like not even a sentence. I don't even get a sentence to think that maybe this one's going to be different. You go right for the Senate. It turns out there's food poisoning. Poisoning. Not even the universe is in peril. But there was no mention of taxation or trade routes this time. But yeah, so but, but uh. the Senate is but like, there is unrest is fine in the galactic. No, don't say it's Senate. No, <laughs> who cares? I think we're supposed to be excited when the Trade Federation guys show up near the end of the movie. Like, 
George yeah. Lucas has no idea what people are nostalgic for at all. Oh, yeah, this new gun ray. Oh, those guys. Oh, I hate those guys. I just like that George Lucas looked at the first movie and goes, that's a pretty low bar, right? I, I think I can get under that. <laughs> <laughs> We're not playing a game oh, of limbo, God. darn it. The separatist movement... I mean, this is this is the thing. First off, what the what the crawl is supposed to do is like get you excited about what's to, what's to come, and instead, it's like fr- trying to fill in lots of stuff that that is the trajectory that this film is trying to take us on. Except it's starting, uh, believe it or not, it's starting later than it would have liked to. It, it, it seems to me that another hour of separatists arguing for a partition of the empire in the senate is really what george lucas wants to talk about here because ultimately is this not right that this this story is a slow motion car crash but it really is just like hey what if there were lots of political machinations behind the scenes that led to a dictatorship okay i get it but um it's not interesting it's it's a story that has happened in history and you could tell it but it's not interesting, and and the Count Dooku thing, introducing him in the crawl, you know, it's just it just seems like a a waste. Plus, it's never clear later in the movie about the whole separatist movement and why they exist, other than as a ploy. Sure. Which is what what it are they doing? Who are they? Why do they want to have a droid army? Why is the separatist movement made up entirely of businessmen? It's not businessmen. Like... There's also that robot guy who. <laughs> They're, but they're robot businesses with the knobs on robot his businesses with the he's, with the knobs. The, uh, the talking speaking spell from the techno oh, unit. <laughs> it's kind of like the father on Invader Zim. I feel confident stating that this movie might have been better if the first two hours had been a crawl, and then <laughs> there's like half an hour of like action at the end. Yeah, that's how it. It certainly crawled. I'll give it that. There, there are people who can make interesting movies and television shows out of political machinations, um, but you have to kind of go the Game of Thrones route if you want to do that. Like, Oops. Uh, yeah, I, I guess <laughs> lots of nudity is the answer. Although there's a fair amount of like hinted nudity in this movie anyway. There's so midriff, plenty of um, midriff. There is midriff. There Bearing is midriff and claws. Yes, yes. But no, I mean, there are hints. That in this terrible train wreck of a movie, there could have been something cool. Hey, like the the Lego um, the Lego Star Wars version of this movie is perfectly fine, right? <laughs> in fact, I ad- I advise you to watch that instead of this. <laughs> I don't know about the Lego oh, yeah. Star Wars version well, of this Lego movie because I've never played the Lego Star Wars oh, prequels. Yeah. I was thinking about that while watching this game and while watching Pirates of the Caribbean two that I watched yesterday. There's lousy scenes that I feel more charitable towards because i enjoyed playing a lego version yes the lego <laughs> version was much was much better well the lego versions probably don't have terrible dialogue <laughs> all right so we all made it through the crawl through the crawl we all survived i think <laughs> uh, although the crawl is my first experience of going like is the the crawl they go through the crawl and it's like you said it's setting you up for like the first scene of the movie and as i'm watching the crawl and being disgusted by it, whatever i go you know what i have no recollection of what they were trying to set up like you know they're trying to set up yeah. something and the scene is when uh queen amidala or the senator or whatever comes on the planet in her thing and, and gets bombed right and but they were trying to set up that there was supposed to be this vote and she was coming there to vote on it. and i had no recollection of that i'm like boy if i can't remember the premise of the first scene yeah this is this is not going to be good and uh, like as i kept watching the movie i'm like 
is this the one with that alien guy with the four arms? Like, seriously, I, I, I don't, there's some sort of amnesia ray that comes out of this movie that <laughs> makes you forget everything about it. Maybe it's like your brain protecting itself. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like what happens when you're when you're reading something really boring and you suddenly realize that you stopped actually processing the word <laughs> several paragraphs ago. Yeah, you're thinking about something more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Speeders and clones are flying around and stupid things are being said poorly, but your mind just checks itself out. I just like, uh, even, even focusing on, I mean, like Amidala, that's a good point if the crawl was that that uh you know senator amidala former formerly queen is on a desperate <laughs> mission to save um the the empire from falling apart but she's under threat and has come here under heavy guard and try to make it like right like it's uh we missed a cliffhanger of an exciting uh 30s movie serial remember last that? time on star wars where, where yeah. then her, her landing there and having the thing blow up and all that would be like oh you know what mission was she on and then we learn but instead it's like you know her mission is one little piece in this much bigger puzzle which may be true plot wise but it you know, give us something. We remember her vaguely from the last movie. Can sort we give? Of. Can we hang something on that? And then the crawls are awkward in all the other movies as well. But you could sum them up in like a sentence: like Empire is like uh, bad guys are are bad. chasing the good guys. Good guys are hiding on Snow Planet. Like, and, and the next one is uh, That's you know, good good guys trying to go get Han Solo, who was frozen at the end of the last movie. Well, you notice the first. The original trilogy, The Crawl, always centers around the main characters. Like, there's some big picture stuff, but it always ends or begins with a main character. Uh, well, there lies movies... the rub, because there is no main character. <laughs> well, exactly. Okay. There's no main character. The, the main characters of the prequels of a whole, but especially episode two, is the Galactic Senate. And the yep. Jedi Order. There's no, like, we try, they try and narrow it a bit like, oh, we should care about Anakin and Obi-Wan and Amidala and also Yoda and also the Jedi Council and also maybe Jar Jar. Like, there's no centering <laughs> force yeah. to any of this movie. It's just a lot of tiny little vignettes that are supposed to string together and you're not quite sure how they all do. Which is inexcusable because, again, we're supposed to be learning how Anakin turns into Darth Vader. And so you could write off the first movie but say, surely now when we have an adult actor playing Anakin, surely the focus will be on him. How could it not be on him? That's what these movies are about. And it's like, nah, actually, he just kind of hangs around and annoys you. To so illustrate you this, here's how episode four's crawl ends. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home about her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. And they cut from that to Princess Leia racing home aboard her starship with the stolen plans. Mm -hmm. It flows in and tells you where you are. As opposed to this, where I don't even remember how it is. Well, even just the words are more dynamic. I just remember, Army of the Republic! Yay! Count Dooku. Even Count Dooku doesn't get caps. No. Nope. Just the Army of the Republic. Let's see if I can pull us past the crawl here. Uh, after the crawl, they you know they show the ship flying in yeah. and everything, and I was struck by like how the the CG and the opening scene, you know, they cut from that to like the people walking out of the ship and landing platform. The CG and the audio and the opening scene looks better than the first live action shot, and that's something I would find myself thinking throughout this entire movie. That the CG, although it is a little, it hasn't aged all that well. You can see kind of like the rough edges invariably looks better to me than the live action shots. And I think the live action shots are aging worse. So 
that the CG was like, oh, this could be cool. It's lots of nice visuals. And then they cut to a bunch of people walking around on a green screen thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that's what this movie it's, is like. It's not even the live yeah. shots that are terrible. It's the compositing, right? Yeah. Like, it's exactly. the fact that they're yes. putting contrast with the CGI shot. They couldn't figure out how to time it. It's that the, the people never look like they're in the scene with whatever's flapping around behind it, and them. And I don't understand mm-hmm. why, because, the, like, if anyone would have the technology to integrate them, like, like the CG itself is very well done. It's just, I, there's just something off about it. And, it, you know... It, it makes me wish the entire movie was CG. Like when that ship goes by, I was thinking, boy, Ben Burt still makes the best engine noises. And then we cut to <laughs> uh-huh. a bunch of people walking around on a green screen. I'm like, oh. Well, on the other hand, there are places where the CG is really, really bad. Like I, I think on Camino in particular, the Caminoans look ridiculous. Anytime you're going to go to characters in this film, they are inevitably going to look worse because we have to remember 2000, this is 2002, right? This is pre Monsters Inc. pre hair revolutions in <laughs> CG and 3D pre proper lighting engineering. So they're still dealing with I can't remember the exact technical term with it, but they um they basically are dealing with a much reduced kind of like a 256 color lighting spectrum um to borrow like a, they're they're dealing like with with the gif of CGI right now and they haven't gotten to like JPEG or SVG. Maybe they uh, maybe they should have dealt with that by I don't know some practical effects. Mm. Yeah, you would think, but uh, they want Yoda jumping around. I have a, a note later that says the practical effects I thought were worse than both the CG and the live action because at one point they <laughs> oh, have that's rough. they have they have Anakin and uh, and Padme getting out of like that stupid gondola looking thing mm. later in the movie, <laughs> and that gondola thing looks to me like someone made a CG model and then someone looked at the CG model and made a real life wooden representation of it and then they got out of the wooden thing it's like the 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 movie made from the novelization of the you know it's, yeah, it's, it's a low it's, resolution it goes, wood it's, boat it's it's two cycles through the, the, and it just i was like that wooden boat is the worst thing i've ever seen in a movie it just looks dumb it looks fake it doesn't look like anything i'd ever <laughs> want to see and i was begging for it to be done in bad low res cg with bad lighting on it like that would have been a step up but at least it goes away quickly unlike their cgi diner owner who's in the middle of the screen uh, talking yeah, no, forever. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. I want to, I want to mention, I want to drag us at least to the, uh, so there's an assassination attempt after an entire movie of uh, Padme having d- uh, doubles that I couldn't tell apart, even though it was Kira Knightley and not Natalie Portman, <laughs> but that you could listen to our episode one episodes for that. Um, and nothing really happens except there's a switcheroo at some point here in the very first scene. It's like, that's why she's got a double because her double is horribly killed in an assassination attempt while Padme is riding in the little like side ship and actually doesn't look like her. <laughs> yeah. This double actually looks more like Jimmy Smith's double. <laughs> She says, I, f- I failed you, Senator. And I was no, like, you well, did how did you, no, you That's exactly what you're there for. Yeah. You're doing it right. Well, she might have failed her by tell- not telling her to get the hell off the platform. Yeah, that now was that it. She's, she's standing there very clearly herself, not really in a disguise. She's taken off her disguise and she's just standing there right where they just killed what they thought was her. It's like, hello. And she's there for a very long time. And this scene and the scene that follows it also blows me away because it makes the Jedi seem completely clueless because oh, they yeah. actually say, yeah. well, as far as we can tell, these are some disgruntled spice miners oh, back yeah. on Naboo. I, I, really? Angry spice miners why are would blowing they bomb up you the queer. In why would they buy me on Coruscant? It would be so much easier to bomb you, like, in space? Or at, at this point, I started writing lines of dialogue, and I find that a lot of my notes from episode two are lines of dialogue, just because I <laughs> yeah. was just, my mind boggled them. In that particular scene you're talking about with the spice miners, here's, here's Padme's lines. 
I love how she doesn't use contractions because that shows she's formal or something. This is good. We should and just we should read just... the dialogue of this movie as yeah. our podcast tonight. Contractions or inflections. Here, here's her line. <laughs> Do you have any idea who's behind this attack? There's a contraction, at least. Uh, and then they say the spice mining things. And then she says, I think that Kanduku is behind it. Okay. Great writing there. Do you have an idea? I think that I think that it is count two. That that is literally every line here. There is no subtext. Yeah. So again, again with the text versus subtext. Even the sentence construction doesn't vary here. Almost, I was counting the number of lines that are like I verb blank, like I verb noun, I verb noun, I verb adjective, I verb like. It's almost every sentence for a period of maybe 15, 20 minutes starts with a yep. character saying I, and not only that, but they're declarative sentences. They're like I feel angry. <laughs> I am right, upset right. now. It, it's, it's like I don't the, uh, the script equivalent of pseudocode. Have you ever seen pseudocode where you're not writing the actual computer code you want to do something? You're just kind of sketching out vaguely ideas. You know, they're Pabby's speaking in Apple behind script. it, and yeah, and and they just they just took the pseudocode and they said, "Well, just have the people say that." So you're thinking that maybe Lucas intended to go back and do a second draft at some point? <laughs> oh, this, George, George, this dialogue's in brackets. What does that mean? Why is it in brackets? Is it's all in brackets. Get to it later. He was going to give it to a writer, and then someone would write the script. <laughs> Like they had it. They had a writer. They had a second writer. Jonathan on Hales, right? The guy who worked with him on Young. Who Indiana basically Jones. was like, "Yeah, sounds great, George. Yeah, I don't need sticks. to do Let's much do here. That. Let me do a couple typo corrections. I'll just run spell check on it. We'll be good. We've got great actors like Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor. They'll make it sing. Did you not see episode one? I think the Count Dooku is behind it. It could not be in any other movie. Have you ever heard, like, in per- I think that blank is behind it. Like, you can't say that in a movie. You would say, like, Count Dooku, or it must be Count Dooku, or somewhat, like, even those are cliches, but just something, anything. Just throw me a bone. But even those would sound, yeah, even those would be more sonorous than the stupid, I mean, it sounds like it was written by a third grader. Really? A line featuring Count Dooku sounds juvenile? The, the dialogue in the original Star Wars, there's a lot of um, cliched dialogue that sounds like something out of a serial, right? It's, you know, I... Sure. But they, they sell it. it. Yeah. With, with all, the, all, the, all the stuff on the Death Star with Leia and all that. But it's, it is, and it's a reference and it's knowing. And here it's not like campy or over the top. It's non-existent. It's just flat. It's oblivious. Statements, yeah. It, it's, I really think it's more the delivery than the dialogue. Like, ah. Uh. Well, I, I was just going to say, what, what is it? Is it 50 How do you deliver that dialogue like, well? It, uh, we agree the delivery is terrible, and we agree the lines are terrible, but how do you apportion the blame? Well, I think it's Dooku. <laughs> He's behind the script. Uh, I, I mean, it depends. Can you, if you can produce this script in a way where you can make it actually sound like rational dialogue, then it's the delivery. <laughs> but I don't think that's actually possible. I, don't, I think no matter who you put in those roles, this is going to sound terrible. Terrible because it's well. Recall that the guy who wrote the script also directed (laughs) these people, and I think the apportionment doesn't really matter. Oh yeah, it lands on one person. I'm just saying, like, because there are a lot of terrible lines in the original trilogy, and and uh, you know, great actors managed to sell them in hindsight. But like, I don't. Another scene that I think could not be made better is when uh, Obi Wan and Anakin are coming up in the elevator, Mm -hmm. trying to share that tale about. Oh, remember when I fell into that Gundark pit? Like, it's you know what that scene is supposed to do. It's supposed to show us that they're. These guys have had some wacky adventures together, and they're bonded. You like, fell into that nightmare, yeah. master. And then we pause for one breath, and then laugh. And he says, remember? And Obi-Wan says, oh. So, Everyone oh, is yes. far too uh, restrained in this film. At least that was that keeps on giving my impression. Like, you get Padme, you get um, Anakin and Obi-Wan in that elevator scene, where despite the fact that they have this somewhat casual dialogue, and it's one of the few instances of casual dialogue that they have— they are both 
so it's like there is a wall between them. And for all we know, they could have <laughs> recorded their dialogue and their appearances separately, thanks to the magic of CGI. Harrison Ford does more acting with one lean. It's possible that Hayden Christensen is entirely computer generated. Time to take a brief break so that I can thank Audible for its support of The Incomparable. Audible is the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks, and we have a special offer just for our listeners coming up in a moment, so keep listening. Audible offers 150,000 books covering virtually every genre, including sci-fi and fantasy, which are near and dear to my heart. If you want to listen to a book, Audible has it. Listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere, including on iPhones, iPads, Macs, PCs, Kindles, you name it. And here's the best part. Audible is offering incomparable listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. You go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable to take advantage of this special offer. By doing so, you not only get the chance to check out this great service, you support the incomparable as well. Now, this is the part where Audible likes me to give you one of my book recommendations on Audible, and it's Nexus by Ramez Nam. First book in a series, but it's a great standalone novel narrated by Luke Daniels, available unabridged. Ramez Nam, he's a sci-fi writer. He also writes nonfiction. Super nice guy. And it's a really good book about a near future experience where people have learned to hack the human brain and install an operating system that runs on and around your own neurons and gives people the ability to tap into the power of their minds and connect to other people's minds. Really, really interesting book. I was going to say mind expanding, but that's sort of what the book's about too. Anyway, really smart, near future idea of augmented humanity. I think it. Uh, I think it's really worth your time. It's available unabridged on Audible, and I uh, think you should check it out. Nexus by Ramez Nam on Audible. So, Get your free audiobook. It could be Nexus. It could be something else. Kick off your free trial. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash incomparable. And thanks to Audible for its support of The Incomparable. The Jedi, um, also, I have to say, um, I couldn't imagine that the Jedi, that being a Jedi master, a Jedi knight, would be boring. But there's a piece of dialogue that really kills me early on here where um, they mentioned that uh, they, that Obi Wan can take care of her and watch her. He's just back from uh, from a border dispute, and I thought, wow, that is a terrible job being a Jedi Knight because th- apparently that's what they do: fight with lightsabers, use the Force. No, you go again to the bureaucrats, and oh, there's a border dispute. I think the river belongs to us. No, 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 no. Half the river belongs to us. Well, let's get the Jedi in here to deal with this. Well, Jason, the Jedi are keepers of the peace, not soldiers, of course. This is why the Republic has fallen, because they're using their guys with awesome magic powers and lightsabers to deal with border Border disputes. disputes. Meanwhile, it's rotting from the inside out. Boring. Terrible job. I'm just saying, terrible job, Jedi. The way this movie brings you out of this boredom is that, oh, you think, you think you're bored now? You think that, that scene where they were in the elevator was too boring? It sounded like they had sticks with their butts? Just wait. Anakin's going to meet Padme, and he's going to start to woo her with his amazing lines. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> You've grown. Let me tell you. So have you grown more beautiful, I mean. Can, can we talk about the age discrepancy a little bit? Because this is very strange. This is apparently 10 years after the previous movie, and, and Natalie Portman doesn't look any older. But, of course... Jake Lloyd is now Hayden Christensen. She's so how old was she? She's supposed to be she? 24, right? 
Because she's well, supposed she to be 14. 14. She was 14, she's 14 in episode in the one? First movie. Yeah, yeah, she's supposed yeah. to be 14. Yeah. Okay. Because she was elected as queen at 14. She wasn't the youngest queen ever elected. And how old is Anakin? Eight? Yeah, he's got to so be. So he's 18? Yeah. Except he's... So it's legal. I've, it's weird. I've got some real issues with the whole concept of an elected queen, by the way. Yeah, I was looking that up on Wikipedia while we were watching tonight because I was very unclear about the whole mechanics of that. And I'm like, really? You're electing somebody who's 14 to govern your planet? She was in the legislative youth program. Yes. And then. Yeah, it's like the Model UN. The Naboo Naboo. Constitution. Yeah, well, I didn't know we elected people from the Model UN to, you know, serve as governor of a city. Turns out nobody else on Naboo is qualified. I have no problem with this because I I always viewed this as being one of these really, uh, you know, bizarre things that grows up over over thousands of years where there's probably something about how we're going to take our our most brilliant children before they're unsullied by political connections and we're going to you know elect them as the queen and the queen is 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 not uh in, in most times is just a ceremonial figure because the guy with the the guy with the goatee is back there doing the actual work right the guy with the, you got to wear it's a goatee to do that job yeah. of course well see, but that makes sense if she's if she's clearly only a figurehead that makes perfect sense but it appears based on the first movie that she is the one and only government yeah. official on all of Naboo. Well, that was a, that was extraordinary circumstance. <laughs> and it's just so yeah. lazy. Oh, very, right? well, the one time it mattered. It's so lazy for there to be a two-term limit in the Constitution. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I should point out there actually are other uh, there are other levers of power in the form of her various uh, body doubles because they apparently get <laughs> yeah. all the shots they can also, when they're yep. when they're the queen. Well, that's good because apparently <laughs> they're being asked to sacrifice themselves not for the hereditary ruler but just for the 14-year-old that was elected for her first term as queen. But it's serving the, the duty of my planet. Yeah. It should have been in the legislative youth program, not the decoy youth program. Here we are talking <laughs> about political science again. What has this movie done to us? So going back to going back to the relationship thing for a second, the age discrepancy, I don't notice so much in this film because they both look very young and it's kind of like, okay, whatever. But... Watching this film 10 years later, I don't think I realized just how freakishly creepy the first half of this movie Mm -hmm. is in terms of lines and like, I don't know. I mean, I got, I mean, I was watching this movie with Dan and Dan had to walk out of the room a couple times because I was yelling at the television. And I'm not usually a person who's like, oh, God, that's, you know, that's really disrespectful or that, you know, seems like an invasion of a woman's space but like the first half of this movie is so creepy anakin is such a creeper you'll always be that little boy to me that, that, <laughs> yeah. so that's creepy just there creepier jason well no but that's not the creepy part the, the creepy part is the way he leers at her he is the creepiest oh leer- yeah the leer- leering the smirk the she doesn't like me watching her eh? oh eh? god uh, it's so gross oh, yeah no the god. smirk the smirk is the worst part. It makes your skin crawl. It's so creepy. You're exactly the way I remembered you in my dreams. In my yeah. Also, <laughs> right, when I watched see, you. When he goes in for a kiss, she does not respond at all. She's just staring into the distance. Well, <sighs> well, yeah, but it's okay for him to be creeper. Like, like when I was watching what, this, what? I'm like, you know, it, like it's okay for, if he wants to be creepy because he does end up being a bad guy, right? Maybe he's creepy. The, but the the sin of this movie is not so much that he's creepy and annoying, which I guess hurts the movie if you want him to be likable in any way because he's. <laughs> terrifying but that the premise of this movie is that she responds yeah. she responds to it that and i can't imagine anything Ugh. that anakin said in padme presence being attractive to any woman ever <laughs> I don't and think somehow be, because the script 
Because the script says so, she responds as like, oh, yes, that's totally a turn on. Are you kidding me? A turn on? I've been dying a little each day since you came back. Really? No, like everything everything he does, every you know, he whines about Obi-Wan, he he's just full of complaints. He's like he's a loser. He is an annoying, <laughs> leering, yeah. creepy loser. And if she taught him a lesson and laid him low and had him realize that he 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 needed to treat her like a real person, that would be an interesting re- relationship dynamic. But no, you're right, John. Basically, the, what the lesson learned here is be a totally creepy dude and never give up being creepy. And eventually, your creepiness will be properly interpreted as love. It'll come around. Yeah. Listen, I cannot count the number of times I have walked into a bar and shouted, they're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. And totally gotten like five phone numbers right there. So let's go out. Padme talks to him the way you talk to a child. At one point when he's whining about Obi-Wan, Padme says to him, that must be frustrating for you, which is how you talk to children to like sort of acknowledge their emotions and to like, you know, say that's she she treats him like a child because he acts like a child. And during this whole time, she's totally flat. But again, if you follow the pace of the movie, you're like, we're supposed to believe that she is falling in love with him, which yeah. gets like the, the real howler lines at the end of this movie about how about how much in love they are. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? The, the number just... of scenes exists where they could theoretically have fallen in love. It doesn't happen in those scenes, but they, <laughs> they pace it out. Like, well, well, yeah, there were four I, scenes. I mean, obviously, they had time. Yeah, they have a scene where they're talking, a scene where they're playing, <laughs> a scene where they kiss, and a scene where they're married. But the characters don't fall in love during those scenes. Yeah. If they had taken out even some of the creepiness, like there's that there's that conversation they have skipping ahead a little bit in the freighter when they're heading home to Naboo on, you know, unregistered transit. And that scene could have been very sweet and been like, oh, this is, our, you know, it's it's strange how far we've come in 10 years. And instead, no, the last line of that scene is you're exactly how I remember you in my dreams. Leering look. Wow. Padme looks down at her hand saying, oh, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? This guy is going to be protecting me. But she's supposed to be saying, oh, I'm overwhelmed by how much he loves me. And I find that such a I'm attracted to him incredibly. No, no, you're not. But yet that's how that's how she's supposed to be acting. There, that he's winning her over with this well to jason's point earlier i think what's interesting is there's there could have been an interesting dynamic again with this this woman who was put in charge of an entire you know planet when she was a small child she was probably not interacting with other like people her age like again you could have done something interesting with him her being like well she's been kind of sheltered you know and she's maybe kind of damaged because she's had to do all this stuff that's really beyond her years <laughs> but no we don't go that way <laughs> so, uh, Two emotionally damaged people. Yeah, no, I would think she seems so worldly that she would. Uh, she, yeah, there's agreed. nothing that he has to offer that she would find interesting. She ruled a planet. She's a senator. She's traveling from planet to planet, and he's like, he's just uh, been isolated from his entire family. Apparently, just doing the Jedi thing. Order disputes. <laughs> Hanging out with Obi Wan. Gundar Pit. She would not be interested in him in any way. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, I wanted to also mention. Yeah, so I, I slowly try to drag us forward. Um. Well, they'll have more time to talk about this relationship, I think, as we go. Um, in the scene before they uh, the centipede attack, <laughs> um, there's a video there, game ever. There's a conversation where they're talking, and Jar Jar is present, and they're all kind. Con- <laughs> and, and and the thing that there's a fascinating little shot that I wanted to mention, which is they have there's a pause in the conversation, and they cut to Jar Jar who sits there and doesn't do anything, and it goes for a couple seconds where it's Jar Jar sitting there, and there's silence, and then they cut away. And it's just it's it's maybe the best shot in the movie because I have no idea why that shot is there. 
other than, hey, it's Jar Jar. Jar Jar's here. The kids love Jar Jar. But it's Remember not like Jar-Jar? undercut with dialogue. It's just silent of Jar Jar. Like, and there are, throughout this movie, there are some things that seemed kind of questionable in terms of just the competence of editing and directing a movie where there are cutaways that I'm like, why is that cutaway there? But the Jar Jar moment is the best. All right, time for our second sponsor break. It's a returning sponsor. It's New Relic. New Relic is a software analytics company that helps make sense of billions of metrics across millions of applications and all in real time. As you may have heard, it's 2014 now. Wake up, it's 2014, it's not the 90s anymore. One thing people are really focused on this year, seamless application performance across multiple platforms on all of their devices. Now that sounds simple. Actually, that sounds really hard. Making an app work consistently well on lots of different devices all with different operating systems running totally different types of software is super complicated. Back in the old days, let's say 2007, it was basically impossible for an app developer to know his or her app was performing once it was shipped to production. It was a mystery. Remember those days? We'd spend a lot of time. There'd be bug hunts. Eventually, you just close your eyes. You're sweating. You cross your fingers. You hope for the best. See what happens when regular people use my app. Um, then you sit around monitoring Twitter, and the app stores, um, looking for reviews, looking for complaints, hoping that the apps are performing and dreading that they're not performing. Whew, quite a story, scary story there, but those days are behind us. New Relic lets you track your application performance down to the end user level, and it's all in real time. That means you can spot problems, find bugs, and fix code fast, way before users even notice that anything has gone wrong. Really great. Not a scary story anymore. Go check out New Relic. Visit newrelic.com slash incomparable to learn more and use the offer code incomparable. Easy to remember. That's the podcast you're listening to right now. Take advantage of this special 30-day extended free pro trial available exclusively to all the listeners of The Incomparable. So if you're an app developer, check out New Relic. You owe it to yourself. NewRelic.com slash incomparable. And thanks to New Relic for sponsoring the podcast. Okay, centipede attack. R2-D2 is a terrible security droid. I have have those exact words in my notes. He is the worst security (laughs) system ever. I mean, think, think about what happens in this room. Bright lights, noise, objects falling from the ceiling to the ground. He can detect none of these things. A toddler in the room would turn his toddler head towards the, the motion and the noise and the light. Aren't you? Nothing. Nothing. Doesn't even notice. He's in sleep mode. I don't know that he's worse than the two Jedi in the next room who are bickering while they're target while they're well, like but, but protecting they, but R2 is getting is watching them, her, right? Yeah, that's, but they're Jedi. They're Jedi. Come on. You you didn't send two schmucks to Carter. But he's a, he's a computer with sensors and rockets and stuff. And well, yet I think the idea is that is he fell asleep or something or that <laughs> because they didn't break the little beams he's emitting. Just look around. It's it's the only thing moving with bright right. lights in the entire room. How can you not know? I mean, the Jedi to their credit, even though they're not in the room, sense danger eventually and jump in and kill the little worm things but yeah r2 is fired wait wait okay wait i have to take issue with the way they kill them because when you have force powers and you can just throw things against the wall instead you're going to use a lightsaber Very like carefully inches from someone's face to slice it out of her hair he was just trying to show off like that that if you're trying to look for some way that anakin could do something that could conceivably be impressive 
maybe you could say demonstrating his Jedi skills by like floating stupid pears yeah. around and stuff. Maybe <laughs> that could be impressive to like a an, a teenage girl who if she sat up at the wrong moment, <laughs> this story ends way too soon. But in a better way, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. They would just put on a robot head. I, I'm curious as to why it takes them until the centipedes are actually crawling into her hair to to sense it. I sense it too. For drama, like, Steve. Drama. Could you sense it 45 seconds ago? Yeah, but they're still bickering when he senses it suddenly. The answer to every question you have, Steve, is because it's in the script. They sense uh. that R2-D2 was beeping in his sleep cycle instead of being awake. That's what they sensed. Yeah. When, when they have Palpatine uh, send Anakin to get Padme, like Palpatine's trying to do these things. Look, he's the puppet master. He's going to send this guy to get that guy and talk to this guy and ask her about that. And you're like... It seems like, oh, this amazing plan is coming together. But the only reason any of these things work, like uh, Palpatine's his little plan to send people to various places and he knows that person is going to be sent to protect her and stuff, is because the script says so. Like, there, you couldn't said, oh, if I, if I send Obi-Wan to protect her, then Obi-Wan and the Jedi people will decide to send Anakin to protect her. Then Anakin will get together with her because I know that in the next movie, like, if you follow the steps backwards... There's no expectation that they would have come out this way. And the only reason they do is, like Dan said, because the script said they should. I am glad to see that there's a strong market for robots that their sole purpose is to dissolve holes in windows and then deliver <laughs> the contents of a tube through them. <laughs> we drone. don't know that's his sole purpose. Drone. Drone. It does other things, too. It's, it's, I think that's a multitasking It delivers drone. death sticks. Like R2-D2 has like five functions. Including rockets. <laughs> yeah. And apparently sleeping through guard duty is one of them. So so Obi-Wan, in a, proving he's a man of action, um, leaps out the window Whee! into the open space, grabs a hold of the of the. Uh, After the, incidentally the just spending the whole night lecturing Anakin on how they're just there to protect Padme. Yeah, so he, he, he um, obviously was convinced. And he jumps out. And then we get to see one year after Mar- Monsters, Inc. was released, we get to see a replay of the door scene from Monsters. Uh, as he dangles from a thing and swings around in a large space and goes, whoa. Does not get hit while. by a car, amazing. Exactly. Doesn't never gets hit by a car. There's never any but I, I was struck at how much it was like the door scene in Monsters Incorporated. Um and then there's this and then he ends up in a speeder chase. This is all happening three-dimensional, uh, and there's cars everywhere, and there's a whole chase happening. And the notes I have here is it all seems really slow. There's no wind. They, they completely lose the guy and then somehow are like, he's over there and pick up the chase again, which makes no sense at all. There's a shortcut, even though they're traveling in completely unfettered three-dimensional space. Yes, there's a shortcut that leaves them several hundred feet higher <laughs> and like a minute ahead. So that's a really good shortcut. I would like to complain about a line of dialogue here, which was meant to be <laughs> lighthearted and airy and quippy. It's when Anakin says... Oh, you know, Master, I couldn't find a speeder I really liked. Yeah, I have to blame the director or somebody for not saying, that line didn't work at all. Let's just cut it. Once more for safety, please, Hayden. Yeah. No, the, the director is the writer, so, yeah, you so know. He doesn't blame cut the, anything. Blame, go ahead. But like, it's, it goes back to John's point about the first movie, right? This is the take they took. You know, George Lucas saw that take and was like, nope, it's good That's enough. We don't need another one. That's good. Let's use that one. When, when it, there's a moment when the flying car, because I mean, guys, Coruscant City, a planet that's just a city, it's got layers of traffic. You've got the, so it's a super futuristic thing, and you've got a chase scene, 
and you've got a car that's like a hot rod flying car and and you need to go down a bunch of levels recklessly and so you're going to you're just going to go out of the lanes of traffic and shoot down and you cut to the people who are doing it and it's like they're going through a toll booth there's no wind there's no excitement it's like it's like uh, dad lets me drive in the driveway on Sundays it's just i it, it blew me away that this is theoretically this should be very exciting and it wasn't exciting at all well, they reflect the level of excitement that, that I had in watching yeah. this. I mean, if you this, want a better version of this scene, go to Star Tours at Disneyland. <laughs> this is this is the problem, though, that I have with remembering anything in this movie. And, and this is just one of maybe like 10 different sequences that are just pure action. And it's really it's because the movie is just basically a bunch of video game levels. They're strung together with really terrible cutscenes, but like 90% of it is just... <laughs> crazy video game stuff flies around and goes boom and it just totally fails to make any sort of lasting impression i mean there's even a conveyor belt season, a scene which is something that's been a video game cliche since before some of you were born <laughs> there's no sense of any mass with this ship or like when somebody decides to jump out of the ship and plummet 500 miles and get caught again there's no danger to them why should there be danger to me the audience yeah, there's no feeling of even physics here. Well, that was the problem in the first movie, too, is, yeah, there was just no sense that anything bad could potentially even happen to these characters, so what's the point? Yeah. There's another issue I have with all these these scenes, too, and that's that so much of this chase in particular, but it happens throughout the movie, it's it's focused on showing us the cool fake buildings of Coruscant. And the chase, it's, I mean, like, we'll be zooming in on some neon-colored color, covered building for several seconds, and then after we've been looking at that for a while, uh, you know, maybe the bounty hunter will run into view in the top right corner. But it's just we're forced to stare at these set pieces and the chase is just totally incidental. I also don't uh, after the uh, shortcut, he there's this really dramatic scene where he he's figured out how um, he could get her because because they took the shortcut and he jumps out. Uh, Anakin jumps out of the car. And falls all the way down to her, and it's perfectly timed. You never get any sense that he's been timing it or that he knows where it is. Um, it does it, even I like I get the point of 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 it happening, and yet it isn't set up properly. So when it happens, it's sort of like what? How did that happen? And then he he lands. Also, uh, um, I guess when they're on the ground, they say that that uh, that the bounty hunter is probably a changeling. So there's your Star Trek uh, crossover there, Dan. Like Odo. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, it, it which makes no sense at all because there's like one scene when she's driving the ship where you see her like her face flicker slightly, and then when she dies, she turns into Goo? back into her natural yeah. form. Why right? didn't she just stay in the natural form the whole time? There's aliens all over this planet. Why Who didn't cares? she just turn into any other form and walk away? Like this? she she has her little cloth mouth covering, which. <laughs> Yeah, protects her fake identity. Great. Definitely take that off in the middle of flying around. Why not wait until you've gotten lost? Obviously, she thinks it's very effective because she kind of looks around behind her like she's making sure no one's looking before she takes it off her mouth. I don't know. There's just, yeah, there's so much wrong with the scene. In, in addition, just the whole, like, the resolution of the scene with the, we think the assassin was hired by a bounty hunter. I'm like, how many layers of contracting are going on here? You're a bounty hunter. You don't need to hire an assassin to do this. Well, they keep decreasing incompetence. Like, again, when they try to blow up the, uh, you know, the senator when she lands. She's there. You could have just picked her off with a sniper rifle. Like, any of these people could be killed at any time by, by a 20th century sniper on this planet. She just wanders around the battlefield. And yet, with all the advanced technology... Like, the best way to kill her is with worms. Can we get some worms into her room? <laughs> the poison dart is shot yeah, from, like, half that? a mile away by the master guy. Why don't you shoot Padme with that? Done and done. 
Where's Padme during this whole chase? If he, if he could just kill people as well as he can manage subcontractors, he'd be fine. He just hired two assassins. The first assassin gets all the bodyguards chasing them halfway across Coruscant. And the other one just has to get through Jar Jar. And the, and the handmaiden. <laughs> I do like the fact that when the, uh, the poison dart gets shot at the bounty hunter, uh, Obi-Wan takes the opportunity to pull it out, look at it, and say, Toxic dart. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Obi. You, uh, no kidding. You just skipped past what I think is the dumbest thing in all of Star Wars. Is it Death Sticks? It's the, the bar. name <laughs> no, of the, the person who, se- who is trying to sell Death Sticks. It's Elian Sleazebago. Elon Sleazebagano. <laughs> Because he is a sleazebag. <laughs> that, and it actually yeah. manages to top Count Dooku. That's pretty good. Ilion Sleazebagano. Yes. That's right. Of bag end. Although I think if you look carefully in the in that bar scene, you can see both Anthony Daniels and Ahmed Best, who plays Jar Jar, as well, extras. That, and you can see Lucas's, Lucas's daughter is in there twice, I think. They give her two shots on oh, camera. Man. Well, I just assume all of the younglings later on are Lucas's kids. Scott McNulty will appreciate this wherever he is. It reminded me of the bar scene in, in Star Trek Three, which is an attempt to create an edgy future bar scene like in Blade Runner or maybe even the original Star Wars. But in fact, it is not that interesting and seems kind of uh, corny. And this reminded me of that. Too. Yeah, there's a lot of Blade Runner-esque imagery with the neon lights. And I'm surprised yeah. they didn't have people with umbrellas with light up handles. But they came. They went right up to that <laughs> line. And so, the, you know, the, the Mos Eisley Cantina reflections with, like, Obi-Wan cutting off someone's arm and the whole... Oh, I, yeah. like, I, I give him Too that. Too many as callbacks. Like, at, at, least, at least that that type of thing, having Obi-Wan in a bar and cutting off someone's arm, at least that doesn't involve dialogue. So we're spared. <laughs> we're spared one aspect of the terror that is this movie. We're spared so a line say, of okay. him going like, oh, this will probably come up again someday. Well, so much of this movie is just mindless callbacks. <sighs> You'll be the death of me. <laughs> oh, and they try to do the scene where like, they show the, the assassin creeping up and you they try to make you think he's creeping up on Anakin instead of creeping up on Obi-Wan. But like it's done so badly. Like That, that cliche well, there's of no like, suspense you know, there either way. Hey, you don't he, care. Someone's creeping up to a door, but it's not the door you think it is, and he opens the door, and you realize, you know, that yeah. that whole cliche. I, I, we're talking about it. Jason mentioned bad editing. Like it's just not competently done. Never mind that we don't care about these people, and we know how it's going to turn out, and there's no actual tension. It's just not done well. Well, it's weird too because it's one of the few we were pointing out when watching it that it's one of the few first-person camera shots in Star Wars, if there are any at all. Like you get a perspective shot from Anakin as he's walking through the bar, and you get these wacky sort of moving close-ups, which feel very un-Star Wars-like because we don't see that kind of camera work anywhere else. It's very odd. Now, in the bar scene, we do get a nice window into the importance of the master to Padawan uh, relationship. When Anakin tells Obi-Wan that he thinks that this uh, this person they're chasing may be a shapeshifter, and the solid Jedi Master advice he gets back is, be extra careful. <laughs> That's just good writing. Man. Again, Obi-Wan, thanks yeah. a lot, man. That's what my mom says every time I hang up the phone with her. Be, be careful. That's trip. huge. Did Qui-Gon tell you that? Is that how you, <laughs> yeah, that's how how you learned, learned that? Yeah. See, I'm willing to give Obi-Wan the benefit of the doubt here and say, like, yeah, all right, be extra careful then. I don't know. I feel I end up feeling bad for Obi-Wan. Most Last movie, he was just a whining, annoying pain. But now, Anakin has grown into that role. And most yes. of the time, I feel pretty bad for Obi-Wan, especially later on when he's talking about, like, 
uh, you know, Mace Windu and Yoda are like, yeah, send Anakin to do this thing. And he's like, guys, he is not ready for that. And they're like, nope, sorry, we're sending him to do this thing. And I'm like, wow, so it really wasn't Obi-Wan's no. fault. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm always looking for, like, any sympathetic character in this movie. And Obi-Wan is the closest to being sympathetic. I think Ewan McGregor comes the closest to rising above the material, the situations, and everything else involved in this movie and trying to make a character that you perhaps have some pity for, if only pity that he has to be in this movie. At least he's now graduated from the Padawan rat tail. Yes. <laughs> Admittedly, it's to the full-fledged force mullet, but at least he doesn't have to carry that braid around. Hey, that is in honor of Qui-Gon Jinn, okay? Let's pause for a moment. You know, there comes a time in every podcast life where it finally becomes a man. And that is when you're finally sponsored by Squarespace. That time has come for the incomparable. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code JASON. Hey, that's my name. What a perfect offer code. I've never been an offer code before. Look, Squarespace makes it easy for you to create websites that are beautiful and functional and with great support. They're always improving their platform with new features, new designs. The support keeps getting better and better. They have these beautiful award-winning designs to start with, lots of style options, and you can create a unique website. You can customize it as much as you want. There are more than 20 highly customizable templates to choose from, incredibly easy to use, and 24-7 support. Over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team. It's based in New York City. They call their office the Care Bear Lair. I don't know if there are actual Care Bears there. I don't know if the support people there are dressed up as bears. You could ask if you need support. And now, this is new, every Squarespace plan supports commerce functionality. Literally every Squarespace customer can now start selling products online. Now, depending which plan you're on, the functionality may differ a little bit, but every Squarespace customer can sell products online. Check out Squarespace's blog for more information, but very cool addition. How much does it cost for this great service? $8 a month. That's it. It starts at $8 a month, and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year of service. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the style of your website. So if you've got users on cell phones, which, boy, there are a lot of those these days, your content will look great there, too. It won't look like some kind of bogus afterthought. It will look just as beautiful as your full desktop experience. So Start a trial with Squarespace. You, it's a real free trial. You don't need a credit card. And start building your website today. When you finally decide to sign up, use the offer code JASON and get 10% off and show your support for the incomparable. Thank you so much to Squarespace for making this podcast truly a podcast. We're going to do a bar mitzvah later. And for their support of the incomparable Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Can we can we do uh, briefly the the diner scene? I have one note about that with the, the totally superfluous fifties diner. Lucas loves the fifties American. But we're not scene. we're not up to the diner scene yet. Is that's right after the the toxic dart? So they go yeah. back. The, they go back to Amidala, and they they have, they have a uh, they have a check in, um, with the as another interminable scene where people sit on couches and well, talk. Well, so I wanted to mention I I actually took notes on this part, so I'm by gum I'm going to get them out because they refer to Amidala as the leader of the opposition at one point, which I am completely baffled by because now we've got layers within layers in the Imperial Senate. What is she opposing? She is she opposing the separatists? Is she opposing Palpatine? It doesn't look like it because she's got meetings with him. What is she? 
she is she like in the blue um political party and there's also a red political party and but they're irrelevant because then they're separatists i don't understand why she's the leader of anything let alone an opposition that i don't understand from what i can understand and i'm basing this entirely off of the crawl and the little i read off of wikipedia it's the um the bill that they talk about that's been voted on in committee for the last two years that she's flown to Coruscant to vote on that we hear about once in the crawl and then never again besides that she's the leader of the opposition for this bill. I guess that's why they're trying to kill her. Well, yeah, the bill itself, I think, has to do with creating a standing army. Um, and she's opposed to that, which is hilarious because the clones end up, you know. Well, that's why they talk. They talk when she's out of the picture. They can talk Jar Jar into it, which is part of the plot. I just thought yeah. it, when you've got an opposition and you've also got a, a a rebellion, essentially the separatists, it gets really confusing to throw all these political terms around. And and again, sometimes people defend these movies and say these are movies for kids. It's like, well, if these movies for kids, it's really too damn confusing because I have no idea what's going on here in terms of the politics at all. Um, my other notes here, by the way, are we get some really good crazy Amidala hair here, which is very clearly like, see, this is where her daughter got it. This is where the crazy hairstyles come from. And um, also in this scene, um, everybody keeps referring to how great Anakin is, which I find fascinating because up on the screen, he doesn't seem like he's that great at all. And um, and that and that while they're playing him like he's somebody who's got this dark side who's going to come out, that's always the kind of dream of the the Star Wars backstory is he always had this undercurrent and it it went horribly wrong. I can't read him as anything other than just kind of a spoiled brat who doesn't like it when he doesn't get what he wants, which is, you know, spoiled brat who becomes evil monster is not as exciting or interesting as person with a, a good core and a dark side that gets exploited. But that's how I feel about it is that he just comes across as like a spoiled brat. Oh, yeah. Don't look at me like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. He could not find a speeder he liked. Okay, I'll keep, I'll keep leering at you and drooling. This is the point that I wrote in my notes. In your pre-prequel Star Wars-related daydreams when you wondered what Anakin Skywalker was like in his youth, <laughs> was petulant little whiner even on your radar? Man. I'm pretty and sure creep, it wasn't. Creepy stalker was definitely not on my radar. It, he is really unloading a lot of crap about Obi-Wan on Padme here. Yeah. Well, especially after he keeps repeatedly telling Obi-Wan, like, you're like a father to me. <laughs> like, again, it's no more plausible in so that that relationship is no more plausible than the relationship between him and Padme, really. You know, he says you're like a father to me. And yeah, OK, there's a little bit of that, like, oh, I'm having going through my teenage rebellion phase. But I don't know. I just I just don't buy it. They don't sound like it. You can't just also you can't just say that you're like a father. Yeah, exactly. Like show me that yeah. he's like a yeah. father. There's in nothing in the movie way. that shows that. Stop telling me, start doing something. I do think it's interesting <laughs> that that scene, the you're like a father to me scene, comes immediately before he goes and meets with Palpatine. And Palpatine's like, oh, so they're well, yes. finally giving you your real position. Congratulations, would be son. Wah-ha-ha-ha-ha, I'm evil. Yeah. Don't mind this hood back here. I don't have it for any particular reason. It's a style. It's a hoodie. They All, all the kids wear them. <laughs> Ian McDermott also putting in, you know, giving a game attempt to continue his role as Palpatine here. He's the only one who has a sensible character arc where well, he wants he's to evil. rule the galaxy. He's just and evil. He, and he tries to do things to rule the galaxy, aided by the ridiculous script that make all of his plans come to fruition without any real effort on his part. But... It's, it's clear what his motivation is. It's clear that he's a bad guy. Uh, so he's got a leg up on almost everyone else in this movie. Yeah. I mean, Dan and I were talking about this while we were watching the end of the movie. And if Palpatine's real goal is to play two sides against the other, 
it would have been a lot cooler to actually see a lot more of his machinations in this film and in the prior film and really make it be like, Anakin may have had some dark side in him, but here is the man who basically corrupted him and destroyed his life while also kind of destroying the entire Republic. Like, that's an interesting story, right? You'd have to come up with a plausible scenario for him to turn evil, which they, as we find out in the third movie, they never, they never yeah, do. Yeah, I that. never, I never buy Anakin. I never buy him turning evil. And one reason for Anakin to like start off as a sweet little boy and somehow become, you know, they, they never come up with any reason for him to be evil. Yeah, sure, he's whiny and creepy, but like, how do you, because Darth Vader is not leering. He, Darth Vader has dignity. Anakin has no dignity. And how do you go... Like, there's no there's no path. There's no connecting between A and B. It's just like he's swept along by the script, and at a certain point, they put him in the mask. And they, Anyway, that's the... It's so facile, is the thing, with the whole, like, when he has the political discussion with Padme about, like, someone should be in charge and just tell everyone what to do. Yeah, maybe not me, but someone should... No, I don't really believe that. I kind of believe that, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Then that person would decide what to do, and that would work very well. Like, like, why would she even... Like, again, this is supposed to be attractive. Ooh, having a political discussion. She's into <laughs> politics, right? She's been a senator. She's ruled a planet. He must seem like the dumbest, most naive, yeah. boring, <laughs> creepy, uninteresting... Like, there, there should be no attraction between these people. And yet... On the other hand, the extent of her political savvy uh, is to put Jar Jar in charge in her stead. So <laughs> he's maybe, a duly elected representative, Steve. Maybe please. she hasn't really put a whole lot of thought into this. The um, yeah. I think some of the core problems with Anakin stem from uh, and, and with uh, with uh, Palpatine stem from two decisions made in the first movie, which we talked about a little bit. Which is one, probably having meeting Anakin Skywalker as a little kid is part of the problem because it, it forced them to retcon all sorts of things about when I met your father, he was a great pilot and things like that. So he's a kid pilot. Okay. I, I think that was a mistake. And if we had met him a little bit later, it probably would have made more sense. And that, that story arc might've been, I, I, you know, it's harmed by the fact that we meet him as a little kid. And then the other thing is this decision to make Palpatine's rise and his evilness sort of like secret, which I guess the idea there as well, it's going to be a real twist when you realize he's the bad guy. But, you know, it's it's not. And it's you, not you, miss, you miss actually seeing him pulling the strings behind the scenes more overtly because we still can tell that it's him, but yet he's sidelined. But it makes, it makes yeah. the Jedi look even more incompetent yes. because it's like we spent the first movie fine. Pretend, pretend you didn't know until the end of the first movie. The second movie, everybody knows. Everybody knows except the Jedi. So the Jedi just look stupid, stupid. and incompetent. And not because they're, like, decadent and lazy. Like, that's the story they want to tell. They want to say, like, oh, the Jedi had become, you know, they, they had lost their, their way or whatever. No, no, the dark side is clouding their judgment. Well, they've stopped doing lightsaber battles. They've been sucked into trade negotiations. They just come off as stupid instead. Like, that's that, there is a better movie in there you could say about how, you know, this was the decadent world and the Jedi had lost lost their vision of what they're supposed to be doing. But instead you just see a bunch of sort of incompetent sort of timid not very smart not very powerful jedi making bad decisions and it's not because they're decadent or because there's some kind of you know they, they've been blinded by their own arrogance none of that is there they're just kind of like do do we're stupid yeah you are you deserve to, to be killed off there's an early line from mace windu where he says dooku was once a jedi he couldn't assassinate anyone. It's not his character. Uh, how foolish you are. But so is turning to the dark side not a thing yet? I mean, I haven't read a whole lot of the extended no, universe. No, ta- they but... talk about the Sith 
in episode one. Yeah, but they don't explain why he they let him like. How do you become a former Jedi? Yeah, he retired. He retired. He just disappeared. And become I'm a done. separatist. Yeah. No, he's known because he's a leader of the separatists. Uh, and they formed attachments, and that's really the problem. <laughs> After the first movie, when they'd established Anakin as more or less lovable, well-adjusted, nice little kid who happens to be a slave, and let's not really talk about that. <laughs> Once you've started him off on that foot, it's very difficult to get him into a position where he becomes Darth Vader. If you had started him off as like a street kid who was the member of like a street gang and had to live, you know, a, a tough life and learn that might equals right, like. Or it's it's so very difficult. No matter what happens, fine. You you someone cheats on you. You think all the Jedi betrayed you, or whatever. To extend that into okay, well now I have to kill all the Jedi in the entire galaxy. You have to be like mad with power, power crazy. You have to believe that power is the only thing that's important. You know, like you have to do. I, I don't want to get too much into Episode Three yeah. type things, but once you start off as as a cute little kid, it's super hard to get him into Darth Vader. And they don't even really make an attempt at it in this movie. They just make him whiny. And they say, well, if you take whiny and raise it to a large exponential power, it equals Darth Vader. And it doesn't. We know that Darth Vader was the whiniest of all the villains. Yeah. If If you raise it to a large power, it just gets more whining. This is the problem I have with Anakin in this movie is that we've been told throughout the first trilogy that, you know, he he was heroic. Yes, and yeah. so you expect to see somewhere along the course of this film him perform some sort of heroic deed or act in a heroic fashion, and he doesn't. He's no. basically a knob from start to finish. <laughs> no, he doesn't do anything. He only he does very little of any agency whatsoever. I mean, even if you if you add in the last movie, um, his heroic action there was accidentally blowing up a spaceship. Right, like in terms of Episode Two, there's not much that he does in here that is active. Period. Other than in the other than the fight scenes, yeah, he jumps off of a uh, speeder. The accidental Jedi. Even the fight scenes are always fight scenes where other people are like, Anakin, no, don't. Oh, okay, he just got thrown against a wall. Hey, he killed all those sand people. What else do you want from him? Kill some sand people. I killed them all. They travel by refugee transport. We never see that. We covered that earlier. Wait a minute. We do see them. We do see them, and they're briefly in their uh, travel by refugee. And as usual, Padme is wearing some kind of shiny copper headpiece. Yes, weird hair stuff. Yeah. Yes, which is exactly what you expect to see on refugees. Certainly not a senator or a queen. Definitely not to be drawn attention to. Refugees love that stuff. Also, would anybody who is not a Padawan wear a rat tail by choice in this universe? Uh. But that's a good point, too, yeah. And we know she knows how to dress down. She did it all through the first movie. That's right. At least Anakin, he sort of looks the part. He's got, like, his his uh, his Jedi poncho on. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he just woke up in the gutter outside of uh, Space Peanuts and Beer. And, uh, yeah, he, he could be a refugee a- apart from the rat tail. But Padme's got her usual 50 pounds of junk in her hair, and it's just absurd. She thinks she's slumming. Can we talk about the droid racism that seems rampant in these movies? (laughs) Can we? R2 just wants to go up and pick up some food. No droids. (laughs) He just wants to pick up some food from, like, like maybe the bar you don't want droids because, like, that's a particular environment. But he just wants to go get food and bring it back to them. And the droid who's serving the food's got to give him guff. No, no, get out of here. No droids. He just wants to pick up the food. I mean, the droid can't even eat, right? Like, that's the worst part. It's like, (laughs) I'm not going to eat them myself because (laughs) I am a droid. (laughs) Seems unnecessary. They do the unconscionable in in the lead up to this scene. They kind of bag on R2. They're, they're walking towards the ship, and they're talking That's about right. how they're scared, and the response is, at least we have R2, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. 
These are the jokes, folks. No, seriously. At least we have R2. He's like the most heroic character that we have in this entire movie. Thank God. Well, that's like me saying, at least I have my GPS unit in my car. I mean, my <laughs> GPS unit can fly and has lasers, but it's still basically just something to move my car around, right? Yeah. Your GPS stands a better chance of protecting you in a dark room from space centipedes. That's true. <laughs> Sweet. This is true. And then here we are. It's the alien diner where where we meet the weird diner alien who knows everything there is to know about darts. Well, yeah, the, the, the one note I have in the scene, because, again, the writing, all I was doing is writing down things, is he says the word cloners. They're cloners. Like, cl- cloners, They're like cloners. Those cloner fellas. Pretty good ones, too. It's like, too. we get it. Like, it, it suddenly turns into Dora. Like, you have to repeat the same <laughs> word. They're cloners. The best cloners. They clone like the clone. We get it. They're cl- we understand. It's in the title of the movie. Like, I don't understand why that scene was there. I don't understand, yep. other than Lucas's obsession with the 50s, that character we don't care about. He's not interesting. Like, at this point, I also wrote in my notes: too many characters, too many planets, too much. It's just too yeah. many moving parts. Like you, a maestro couldn't get these parts to fit together into a cohesive whole. And Lucas is not a maestro. My notes say cloners, like that means anything. <laughs> um, but but your Dora reference is is a good is a is a good one, John. Because who do we ask for help when we don't know which way to go? Say map, say map. Oh wait, they took the planet out of the map. We can't say map. <laughs> I thought it was really weird that all the Jedi younglings were all exactly the same height. Hello, younglings. Wouldn't this be a good spot to have some aliens? Like, they had the one red face alien, but they could have weird, no, there's ton of, weird shapes of or an extra tall alien or an extra short yeah, alien. Yeah, they're all kids. They're all just, just Lucas's kids horns. and their they, kids' they need, they need them to read as kids. Younglings to, are cute. Younglings classes at the Jedi school are sorted by height. Oh, yeah. You know, midichlorians thing. are usually present in a certain body type, oh. so... Depending on when they manifest, it's true. I should I should point out um, that that a beloved podcast of mine and John's, uh, the Flophouse, did an episode about episode two. And the o- only thing I remember I wanted to mention from their episode about this movie is the point that many of the words used in this movie mm-hmm. are English words, and yet occasionally a word will be changed for no apparent reason other than to make it seem alieny. So we could call these people kids or children, but no. They're younglings. And youngling is a redundant word. Space children. Like, young means one thing, and the suffix ling just means a young version of that. <laughs> young, young, Not young. doing anything. <laughs> What's up, young youngs? But it's space. Space children, come on. Word up, my young youngs. The whole bit with the map is pretty great because it's like not only has it been, you know, the, the map has been erased. I like the idea, first of all, that it should be that the planet should be south of another planet. <laughs> yeah. That that particularly <laughs> struck a good chord with me. In galactic true north. Yeah, it's three dimensional. He knows exactly where the planet is supposed to be. Precisely. So why would he not go there? Like, they have spaceships, but the, and he's like legitimately. I just can't figure this one out. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, that it was like, what was the point of having that scene in the movie to show that Obi Wan is really, really, really stupid? Like he got no new information. He said it's not there. It looks like it's been erased. He already told them gravity is pulling. Like it's not even like a CSI scene where they figure out like something by using computers. I don't under. There's scenes in this movie that just don't need to be there at all and that someone thought it was a really great idea like oh the the mind of a child is going to tell us some insight no nope he's going to tell you exactly what a three-year-old would know and by doing that he will make you appear dumber than a three-year-old because you are it does give a chance for yoda to slag him by saying he's lost a planet though i was impressed by the efficiency of their library system where you just have to say the name of a planet say it's uh camino and they can immediately say oh that doesn't exist 
No, asking how it's spelled. The library was one of the few sort of lazy visual design because the visual design in these movies, like the ships and everything, is not. I, I think it's reasonably good. But the library, they said, how about we have big walls of like light up book spines? Yeah, that reads as library. See, I'm pretty mad that. at the visual design of this movie because the whole thing that made the first trilogy cool was that it was lived in. This land speeders looked well, beat the, up. Again, this is supposed to be like the Gilded Age, yeah, so I give them license to go. But I'm just saying, like a library having light up book spines, that is too lazy. Yeah. Sorry. Do I think we go back to Naboo briefly and we meet the there's the new queen who is in the same it's like they get to reuse the sets and they got the guy with the, the with the goatee and it's full of a planet full of old people and old stuff and of course they are ruled by young girls. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be an Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, creepy. No, I, I like when they're wa- when they're walking down the walkway and they have some more sterling dialogue. Like, I agree. I think the Republic needs you. I am glad you chose to serve. Mm-hmm. And scene. Thank you for like. Thank you for expressing those sentiments in such a dry, boring fashion. Is this where you your boat is, you. John? Or is that in the? Next I think scene? it's somewhere around yeah. here. Like they're they're talking about like she says that she was in the in the, the legislative youth and that she <laughs> wanted to go in the Senate and and Anakin's like, yes, I agree. I think the Republic needs you. Mm-hmm. I was glad you chose to serve. End of scene. Like, that's it. That That's it. Senate sounds like an important word. I'm actually really thinking about the Naboo political system now. <laughs> she said, I wasn't the youngest queen ever elected. So there were younger queens than her. And they might never have kings. I think this is a planet that's always ruled by young teenage <laughs> girls. Yes, I agree. I mean... They f- I mean, the, the planet also fell apart, too, so... I, I would like to believe that, that, that they have decided that the way for them to rule without being encumbered by, uh, like, political dealings and things is having an innocent uh, a preteen girl sit on the throne for a while and not do much because there's the, the guy with the goatee. There's one scene where they try to establish the sort of tension in the romantic relationship and sort of a, a sparring type thing, like a Han Leia thing, where they're like, I think we should go for the lake country for security, and they have this disagreement or whatever. And again, every scene in, the, every scene in this movie, I can put up on the big board saying, I can see what they're trying to do in the scene. They're trying to make this relationship like, it. you know, they're attracted to each other, but they also have a little bit of witty verbal sparring, sparring as a form of flirting or whatever, and it totally falls on its face. It does not work the writing is bad it does not make me think any of the characters are likable or interesting or clever in any way they just it makes anakin look more petulant it makes her look stupider for tolerating his petulance and it just it it totally fails and like i i wish i could take all these scenes and like pin them up and say this scene was supposed to do this and didn't this scene was supposed to do this and didn't and i don't know what's worse the scenes where they talk and have exposition and sit on couches or the scenes where you can tell what they're trying to do and they totally fail and they just move on they're like well i guess we didn't pull it off next scene please (laughs) nothing to be done we'll just stick it in as it is and hope you forget camino they go to camino it's very rainy this is a planet that's rainy there's lots of water there are also cloners there, I hear. They're cloners, big cloners. Lots yes. of green Gigantically tall, implausibly skinny, long-necked yeah, cloners. Yeah, so the Camino aliens are these tall, skinny, white aliens in these in these long, white corridors. I remember watching this movie the first time and thinking, I, kinda, I really like the look and the art direction of the Camino scenes. That it's rainy, it's kind of atmospheric, it's this very, like, 2001 almost, or some of the scenes in in, in the original trilogy, that it's the kind of, like, all-white aesthetic. And I thought the aliens were interesting and strange, and they have strange voices. And 
I, I, Although I was they just, never look like they belong in the scene to me. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. Always well, it, stick it, well, out. It's the humans, the humans who don't look like they're standing on anything. They're they're not even planted on anything. Yeah. They're just in the green screen. It's a pleasant cartoon to watch. Yeah, so I liked it originally, but but watching it back this time, I was like, oh, it's really not that good. I was hoping <laughs> this would be the thing that I could be like, oh yeah, oh, it's the man. little white long necked aliens on the rain planet. That'll be fine. And I, I, like, I like the big waves and the big creature that the guys riding on the back of. I'd like to see the movie featuring those guys. It's yeah. kind of like Avatar before Avatar, and the idea of a planet where it's rainy and dark all the time and there are gigantic waves is moody and atmospheric. It's too bad it happened to be, you know, it got trapped in the middle of episode two. And can I say that Obi Wan is um, among his things that he is not skilled at playing along not a yes. thing he's skillful at he, there's a whole <laughs> lot sort of like yeah. so uh, we expected you what you expected me oh yes yes you did we hope you'll enjoy the army you ordered the the army, army? oh yes <laughs> oh yeah the of army totally. i forgot about the army yes oh why right. yes. please tell me who ordered that army just to refresh my memory yeah these cloners are very not very careful they're supposed to be like oh you would think they'd be a little bit more careful on the business secret. but like it's the problem that we were talking about with anakin not being a hero what does obi-wan do that's heroic he's sent here to do something heroic like go figure out find this bounty hunter or whatever find him how does obi-wan succeed in his mission through his cunning through his skill through you know his cleverness through through his brute force no, he just falls ass backwards into it because the script yeah, says he should. Dumb luck. He shows Jedi up. luck. They pull him in. He does a bad job of hiding everything, and they just tell like what he didn't. He wasn't a hero. He didn't do anything heroic. He was just there. You could have you could have sent R two, and R two would have been as successful in this mission. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, except as long as there weren't centipedes around. This is where I had to stop the first time. By the way, at this yeah. point. <laughs> but we got to learn the secret of the stormtroopers, which is that they are all Boba Fett's father. No, no, no. Yeah, so I, I have this later when when we when we load up on stormtroopers, but I can mention it now, which is the clone troopers. On one level, it explains why stor- stormtroopers are so uniform and so lame because they're they've been engineered to follow orders and apparently so to miss cheap, their targets though. and things. But I really don't like this retcon. I always I always like the fact that the stormtroopers were you know scary shock troops for the empire, even though yeah they don't shoot as well and they kill they're killed easily but here we've just backed it all out to being these kind of like genetically engineered in order to be um pliable uh versions of Django fett well you have like the droid racism this is the clone racism because all right so they're genetically identical but so are twins why are we supposed this is the excusing the fact that like we're going to kill these guys later but don't feel bad they're just clones they're absolutely 100 percent human they've been engineered to follow orders and be pliable i know but still but they're just they're they're as human as any other human and it's not like i think the empire okay fine the empire is evil and all that stuff but it's like in the movie this is done to excuse later the death of these things like we don't care about like when anakin hops off the the thing and the clones who are piloting there blow off that we don't linger on that it's like well they're just clones there's a million of them it's not a big deal and i think it's made worse it's made worse by the clone wars television series which is actually much better than any of these movies mm-hmm. that really humanizes the clones and shows what it's like to be a clone and gumming up like it's it's so terrible for me to see how they treat clones. In this it movie. seems odd to me that we have to watch Boba Fett watch his father die later because he just ends up going into the same line of work as his father, being a bounty hunter. So it's not much of an origin story. But it strikes me as odd that after his father's dead, clones of his father are on every planet in the system. <laughs> Yeah, but they're not his dad. But still. Yeah, they're, not, they're, they're, they're the modified ones. They're mentally, they've been mentally handicapped. Isn't that what they say on and, Camino? And that speed they've grown. Been, yeah. Well, they've just been made compliant. 
Yeah, but for the kid, if you ever see a stormtrooper without his helmet on, oh my god, that's dad. Yeah, it looks like your dad. Well, but but it looks like him too because he's also a clone of his dad. Yes, so right, he's going to grow right. up to look exactly like his father. Yeah. That's why he's so messed up and he it, becomes a It's it's not really his father. Hair. It's his it's his brother. It's his twin, really. It's yeah. The the clone thing when it really got to me was at the end where I realized Hey, we're supposed to be rooting for the Jedi who are willingly sending living beings who have been genetically engineered to be compliant into battle to be killed, slaughtered by a bunch of robots. Well, again, in the Clone Wars TV series, that relationship between the Jedi and the clones is like that tension is it kills me that this Cartoon Network show has so much more nuance and interest than these than these multi-million dollar movies but the Jedi have a relationship with the leaders of the clone armies and I think I kind of read in the television series that the Jedi feel kind of bad about this whole we're commanding you and we're in this together and they're like you could have done something like that in this movie to show the Jedi were uncomfortable with this, that they had a relationship with them in the battle, that it didn't treat them just like a machine that you can give orders to. Because it kind of makes sense that the humans treat the droids as just machines because they just believe there's no strong AI. And that was one throwaway line in this movie that I actually kind of liked where they said, well, if they had machines that would think there wouldn't be any of us here. I'm like, A, that would be a blessing. And B, that's kind of a clever comment on AI. But, you know, I've seen three C-3PO and R2 and they actually seem like they're thinking to me. So maybe you should open your eyes. You fought in the Clone Wars? Wow, the Clone Wars sound like they're really cool. No, actually, it's just we made lots of photocopies of this one guy <laughs> and made a giant army. It, it was, was sort of like good. just droids fighting droids, to be honest with you. It wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, and, th- and then we ran them into the droids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because the droids is your excuse of like, oh, we don't care in the first movie that the droids are dying. And now, well, clones versus droids, don't you? It's a kind of a wash, right? Eh, they're all the same. They die. Who cares? When I say I fought in the Clone Wars, what I mean, mean is... I sat over here and watched that <laughs> army and that army fight. Yeah, it's like very similar. I know what you were saying to yourself when you saw how long this episode was. Wow, that's a long episode of The Incomparable. I wonder if they managed to squeeze episode two into a single episode instead of doing it in two parts like they did with all of the other Star Wars movies. Well, <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Join us next week for part two of our discussion of Star Wars Episode 2. <laughs>